Before we get started today, I want to give a special thanks to Hashtag Paid, our top sponsor this week. Uh, I want to say goodbye to influence. I want to say hello to creators. You can get your consumers talking about your brand, buying your product with creator marketing. Uh, find out why creator marketing works up to four times better uh, for your customer acquisition dollars by signing up with Hashtag Paid. Go to hashtagpaid.com. Thanks very much. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC by Pilot House. Hello and welcome to DTC Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. And today we're going with a podcast that Kyle Guilfoyle went out and found himself. When I first met Kyle, he started int in introducing me to a cornucopia of amazing uh, copywriters and thinkers and, and, and digital marketers. Because um, Kyle's really into, into you know, finding the best of those. And the first person he actually introduced me to was Neville Medora. So we're super happy to have him on the podcast. Take away the intro that you prepared, KG. Yeah, man. Well, well, thank you, um, and and thanks for being here, Neville. Uh, today, I'm 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 really proud and excited to have uh, founder, author, and copywriter Neville Medora on the show. Neville is the owner of Copywriting Course, where he holds biweekly office hours, where he and other highly skilled copywriters give live feedback on the copy of hundreds of students, including myself, and much more. He's the author of three books. This book will teach you to write better. Seven weird ways I made money in college, and most recently, you're gonna die. In addition to the work he does with clients and students, he's also an investor and advisor to some of the coolest companies on the internet, including AppSumo, The Hustle, SwipeFile.com, and more. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make content that sticks and stands out in a sea of same, perspectives on advertising on the internet, how writing a book can be simpler than you possibly imagined, and along the way, we'll probably learn a little bit about how to live a good life. Now, before we dive in, I'd just like to quickly share one of the greatest insights I've learned from you, Neville, which is that copywriting shouldn't be complicated. In fact, when you break it down, when Neville breaks it down, it's really just about the quick transmission of an idea from your brain to someone else's brain. Then that idea sticks and it makes someone act. So before we get started, I want to thank you for uh, what you've created, Neville, and, uh, and for having uh, such an impact on myself and many others and, uh, and say welcome. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Real privilege. Thank you, man. You're welcome. Um, so we like to start these off with uh, a quick little value rocket. And um, and so one of the questions we ask sometimes is, what's what's one thing about copywriting you wish you'd learned years ago? One thing about copywriting I wish I learned years ago was probably that you write exactly like you talk and not any different. So I think, I think you, you go to English class and they teach you to write with these big words and it sounds fancy, especially when you're a kid, you're like, oh, someone that uses a lot of big words, it, they must be smart. But it turns out as you get older, someone that uses way too many big words when they don't need to, they're actually kind of dumb or trying to appear smart. So uh, not to pick on chiropractors because I think there's a lot of good ones, but I've noticed like, in the, like these quasi doctor roles where they want to be looked at as more legit, sometimes they will start using words like, oh, we'll do the subluxation of the third L bar where really they could just say like, uh, we're gonna pop your back, right? So they'll use bigger words to confuse you. Also lawyers will use words to obscure the truth or kind of like we be able to weasel out of things later. And I realized that as you get older, using big words is actually a bad thing. 
and that the smartest people I admire in the world, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, these types of people, they use pretty simple language almost all the time. They actually never really use big fancy words to confuse you and make you look smarter because they don't need that at that point. So I always realize like, if you write like you talk and just try to convey simply, and the goal is to convey information properly rather than impress a person, I think that's what I wish I learned a little bit earlier. Awesome. Um, I actually think that that sort of touches on your unique ability, which is well, what I perceive your unique ability to be, which is really just simplifying the process of, of most things, but namely copy. And, and you have this knack for assembling media like like words, images, video, and audio uh, in a way that does this better than many people on the internet. And so I'm wondering if you could, uh, well, first of all, do like, would you agree with that uh, assessment of your unique ability? I think so. And I always tell people, it's like, I think I'm dumb because it, it takes me longer to understand complex topics. And so I have to understand the core level first and that's to slowly stack on the other thing. And I'm not trying to put myself down or anything about it, but I really do need that core building block to understand something before I can go to the next. Otherwise, if you're building on building blocks that aren't steady, you're building on shaky sand, right? So I've always been like, wait, 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 hold on. How does this work? How does this work? And drill down real granular until I can understand it. So therefore, that's that tends to be the way I communicate also. So if I explain something, it has to be in a real basic form that a dummy like me could understand. So and, yeah, and I, it really, it makes me think like, you know, Kyle and I write, uh, you know, we do a lot of the newsletter. We're writing, uh, you know, emails to people all week. And it, it, we have these these moments where we'll sit down and we'll like book time to kind of write. And and really, I you know, I really resonate with that idea of writing like you speak because it's those times where you just sort of like let it flow and and don't be, you know, you have this you have this idea of what it should be like when you're when you're writing, but it, but it should be just like whatever words are coming out of your mouth and and let them let them go, and and just sort of let that creativity flow is something I really resonate with. Well, I mean, it's funny. It's funny. We get on these consult calls. So today's actually like a consulting call day. So we do like three calls. And whenever we do um, a call with like a B2B company that's having some trouble with our copy, usually it's that they're using a lot of buzzwords or writing with like a committee of people. They're trying to make themselves sound really fancy. And I'm just like, wait, I literally don't even know what this product does. And they're like, oh, we just, we get more leads for lawyers. And I'm like, why don't you write that? And they're like, I don't know. I never really thought of it. <laughs> and, and we're just kind of conditioned to make words sound fancier than they really are. When in reality, the goal is just to communicate, like Kyle said, from one brain to another or one brain to a million brains, right? Nice. Can we totally. back up on that a little bit? This is this goes right back to my university days. Uh, I went to Queens University. I studied film. And I, I, I kind of got into the theory side of film, which led me into this thing called semiotics, which is the theory of how meaning is like created and received in culture. So mm -hmm. I'm, and I, I feel like that's sort of core to your, to, to your principles. Can you talk, can you geek out a little bit on, on that sort of like. That, yeah, man. Like, I, I don't know who said this. Someone told me this analogy once and I think they read it in a book. So I don't know exactly where this is accredited to. Sorry for that. But I remember saying, uh, hearing someone that you have like an antenna, like a broadcasting antenna. So you're like antenna A and then someone else is antenna B. And in the middle, the, the message always gets distorted a little bit. And then if you're trying to send it to antenna A or B, C, D, E, F, G, all these other ones, it gets distorted even more. So my goal is always to make the message so simple that you can't really mess it up all that much. That's always been my goal in sort of communications. Just make it so simple. You can't really screw it up. Like the other person can't interpret it that much different. Got it. Can you back up a little bit and tell us more about yourself? I think Kyle might know a little bit more about your bio, but I'd love to just hear more about the, the journey of Neville and uh, what it looks like. 
Yeah. I mean, I started, I, I originally wanted to be a doctor because I'm Indian and there's that. So, <laughs> and then, so I, I found out early on in school that I did not want to be a doctor because we had this cool program where I had to go shadow different doctors uh, for two, two years in, in high school. I got to leave school every other day and shadow different doctors. And I quickly realized that's not where I wanted to go. And so I went into computer stuff. I did computer science my first year of college. And then I started a business called House of Rave. Uh, so I actually started that in, in high school. I wanted to start an e-commerce store because e-commerce was the hot thing in like the year 2000. And so I started an e-commerce store called houseofrave.com. We sold rave and light up and glow stuff um, that I drop shipped. So D to C stuff, of course. And this is back when drop shipping was kind of a new concept where kind of people were like, wow, that's really smart. You sell it, but get someone else to deliver it. That was like a brilliant concept back then. Now this is pretty obvious. So I started in those days and um, I didn't have a lot of money because I was a kid, right? I was like 17. So I didn't, I didn't even know how I got a bank. I co-signed a bank account with my dad to open it. And then I started really like, how do I get people to come to this site? And so that's when I learned SEO. I realized back then you could kind of not gain the, the, the system, but you could relatively rank, rank number one on certain keywords relatively easy. And, you know, rave equipment was not exactly the hottest, you know, SEO target. So I quickly started ranking number one for all the rave uh, store stuff and people would just buy. And that was my first foray into D to C. And then since then I've been involved in a bunch of companies. Uh, one of my buddies, Noah Kagan started a company called AppSumo literally off my couch um, in Austin. And so I quickly came on board for that. That started doing more. I started making more personal income on that company than, I, than House of Rave was doing in revenue, which, which is kind of crazy. So I was like, okay, let's sell House of Rave. So I sold it to a competitor and started working with AppSumo. From there, we started, I started a copywriting course and part of the hustle and a bunch of other companies that I'm an uh, advisor investor in now. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, as a business idea, quickly, you should consider a new House of Rave for people that have in that COVID halo. You could have House <laughs> of Rave for COVID halo people, as we were mentioning yeah. earlier. Yeah, this doesn't look like the face of COVID. Uh, this is my fourth day on it, and I feel fine. So hopefully, I'm good. But yeah, first yeah. COVID positive guest, though. That's kind of cool. the very first COVID positive guest. And but but you're asymptomatic so far, as far as you can tell. Uh, no, I was pretty sick for about two days. I felt like I had like a flu. I was down. I wasn't like hurting that bad. But you know, it did suck for two days. But fourth day so far, I don't know. Cross my fingers, I'm good. Nice. Well, hang uh, in there. Yeah. One of the one of the things I find uh, really interesting about uh, about your uh, your business level is uh, you've like like you you've run so many different advertising experiments you know from uh, street street side signage to to billboards uh, yet it doesn't seem like you do very much advertising I think I've maybe encountered one ad for for a copywriting course on like mm -hmm. I think I think uh, my first million mm -hmm. podcast or something like that and so I'm curious a what you know what some of your your key learnings have been from running all those experiments and also how you see advertising, how you see it playing or not playing into your business today. So there's like, there's, there's paid advertising. And then there's kind of the other type of advertising that I normally do. So I don't do a lot of paid advertising. <laughs> God help me. I've done all the experiments. The problem is to sell something like a copywriting course is a little bit, it's not that intuitive, right? If I was trying to sell you this pen, like it, it writes, it, it's got this tip, uh, Got it. Like we understand what that is. Copywriting, a lot of people don't even know what copywriting is at first. So it's difficult to sell to cold traffic copywriting uh, without lying a lot. <laughs> so there are some places that do a lot of cold traffic and they, uh, they make some crazy claims to make that sale. So it's just not an area I'm willing to go. So what I've done with advertising is I do spend money to put out content. I spend time and money to put out content. 
And the reason that that's cool to me is Kyle, you know this, uh, I love reusing content and creating assets over time. So uh, for example, I'm spending time to do this podcast. Hopefully it'll go online. Now that adds to my repertoire of online stuff, podcasts and links back to my website. So this has added a little bit of wind to the sales of my assets that I have right now. And so that is the kind of advertising I prefer to do. I think it's more fun. Um, the problem with paid advertising is once you turn off that spigot, it's gone, it's done, right? Uh, so you have to you have to keep paying to play. Now that works uh, very well for certain products like Amazon products and stuff like that. If someone's looking for a vacuum and you sell vacuums and you pay for an ad for a vacuum and they see it, they buy it, hey, congratulations. But for this specific product, it's a little bit harder to convince people right away to, to jump on board. So instead, I've done what I've been good at, which is I, like YouTube stuff, podcast stuff, making content. Those are things I enjoy and are good. Uh, I, I think I'm good at because there's some results to it. So, um, so I prefer to do those activities rather than spend all my money on ads. Now, I am part of a bunch of companies that build up very quickly because of ads and they sell slightly different products. Um, so I don't know, I just prefer to go the route of doing those types of activities for promotion uh, that are not necessarily paid ads, but still cost time and money. So if I rent out a podcast studio to do a podcast with someone and publish it, that does cost me time, that does cost me money, that does cost me uh, work. But overall, I think that that's an asset that keeps building over time. And I theoretically have, have to pay nothing to distribute it. So I prefer that kind of advertising over traditional Facebook and Google paid advertising. For sure. And, um, and speaking of content assets, uh, you know, you've, uh, one form of content asset you've, you've created is you've created a few books and you also have a really unique process for creating those books in a really simple way. Um, but before we get into that process, I'd, I'd first love to, to hear about whether or not you think there's a play for any business, including say e-commerce or DTC, uh, to, to create a book. Uh, that can become an asset in their their marketing system, or do you think it really, uh, you know, just works for like sort of information businesses, educational businesses? Uh, it kind of depends. I never really put out a book in terms of for advertisement. I just thought it would be fun. So like, I remember when you said that, you said three books, and I was like, I wrote three books, and then you were like, seven weird ways I made money in college. I remember that was shortly after college. I put out that book as an experiment on kdp.amazon.com, their Kindle publishing platform. And I put that out just to see what would happen. And sure enough, like a real book came to my house with what I wrote. So uh, the next two books, uh, the, uh, this book will teach you how to write better, was just literally I had a copy, the copywriting course. I just took the chapters and made it into a condensed version for that book. And that ended up doing really well. And I never expected to make money or get any traction off that. It just kind of happened. Um, so it, it turned into an advertising platform. Now, I've helped a lot of people write books and the ones that are just like, I'm just gonna give this out so I can get people back to my business. Um, that can work, but generally if you have something genuinely interesting to say, that helps a lot more. So if someone's selling vacuum cleaners on Amazon, can they write a book and make a bunch of money off of it? Uh, I mean, possibly, it just seems like a real roundabout way to do it, right? So people are like, should I write a book? I'm like. I mean, first of all, is the book going to be good enough to get a bunch of people to read it? Uh, just like having a book nowadays is not that impressive, in my opinion, um, especially if it has a bunch of bad reviews. Like it almost has like the opposite effect. You go to Amazon, it has like 500 two-star reviews. That's not going to look good, right? No. Yeah. So so I think some people can write a book if they want to, but I don't, I don't know that 
everyone can do it. I like the sentiment that like, everyone can do it. I'm not usually in that camp though. <laughs> I'm a little more realistic about it, I think. One of the things, you know, even even if I would imagine if like in the in the D2C world out there, it's like the way to really test that maybe, you know, would be to start making uh, founder posts or things like that, where you, you you sort of put your your founder story out there. And if you really do, like we just interviewed True Earth, Ryan McKenzie, True Earth, like mm-hmm. and that's, a you know, Canada's second fastest growing brand. They do this laundry detergent thing. So I feel like if you've got a really great story, it always pays to keep honing that story and to work on it. And, and maybe one day it's a book if it happens organically, potentially, if it's something, you're, you know, that's going to be part of your customer journey that they're interested in. But I'm curious, like you, you seem like you seem like a lot of what you do comes off as effortless in a way. And that seems to be, you see, you seem like you got a lot of like coupes de grace in a way you've got a lot of like, you just sort of put it out there and, and you're confident in it. I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm interested in how you balance availability. Like how, how do you, how do you balance the, the, the idea of sort of making, putting yourself available and making yourself scarce? Is that, is that, I think there's, there's, yeah, the, first of all, I do put it out there and like, it's, it's not, uh, I, I put it, I'm good at putting stuff out there. I'm not confident that it'll always work. I always thought of things as experiments. And so I've also come to realize at this age that there's a certain style of work that people are good at and enjoy uh, and just tend to do. So some people are very perfectionist. They put stuff out there. It's perfect uh, at the get-go. Um, I'm not like that. And I've just kind of embraced that, like putting it out quick and just making that part of my brand that, yeah, they're spelling mistakes. I don't know. I mean, I don't want them to be there, but like there might be, and then I'll go fix them. So I like that. I like that kind of approach to it. Uh, so I think like Google does that a lot. They'll put out a product and be like, we'll see what happens. And it might be crappy at first and they make it better. And then there's the Apple way, which I personally am attracted to, but it's a lot of work to do what they do, which is they put it out and it's goddamn good the first time. So I think there's just different ways to approach it. I tend to like just putting stuff out fast and seeing what happens. And it's also part of my brand that that's now the thing, which is good because I'm almost like permitted to put stuff out that's not like the greatest at first. So I don't know, it's just the way I've approached it in terms of I can put stuff out, push publish. And, you know, with the internet, it's kind of faceless, right? I'm not going up on stage in front of a thousand people with their eyes directly on me. It's over the internet. So I almost don't realize that anyone's looking at it. So that helps me be a little bit more comfortable just putting stuff out and seeing what happens. Yeah, one also, of the- one of the... You know, Dude, you, you know what the biggest thing is? Someone once told me, I forgot who it was. I think it was a speaker on stage. And he said something to the effect that like, it is so egotistical to think that someone's actually paying that much attention to you. Yeah. That, that like, yeah. I put up a blog post and then it's not great. And then I take it down. I'm like, oh man, all these people saw it, read it. No one gives a shit. Like no one cares. Like think about the last time you really judged someone for the blog post they put out. Like you probably don't even reckon, remember it, you know? And so I remember thinking, oh yeah, I'm just in that sea of people that like people see it and they're kind of like, yeah, they don't care. And in two seconds, they forget about it. So that that's, I've always remembered that quote. And that really helps comfort me when putting something out. For sure. Also, one of uh, one of the perspectives you shared once that I that I found really valuable was the idea that a, a blog post is also it's kind of like having uh, you know like a, a living book or you know it's like a living thing on the internet and you can just you can keep on making it better and better and better and you can keep changing it. So like when you push publish, it's not like you know that's the last time you're you're going to change it. You can update it. And so I think that really personally helped me overcome you know perfectionistic tendencies. Um, I I'd also love to hear about. Um, some of the early, early experiences that you had with, uh, with AppSumo and, and if you could share any like 
key insights to how that business grew so quickly? Uh, so that business grew quickly because one, it makes money right away, right? So a lot of businesses that you put time and money in to build up an audience, all that kind of stuff. Whereas AppSumo is in the kind of business where you make money on day one. And it's a little bit different than a lot of D2C companies in terms of it's, it's not selling a product. So if I buy a billion doodads from you, well, you have to go get a billion doodads made. So you have to spend a lot of money to get those things made. With AppSumo, it's just a deal. So it's all digital. There's nothing physically, tangibly going back. So, and also as soon as you go to AppSumo and buy something, you're giving AppSumo money, right? So because of that, AppSumo was able to, under the guidance of Noah, who's, who was number 30 at Facebook and worked on the ads product. So was very familiar with the ads product, right? Um, so knew how to kind of use that to its maximum potential and say that, okay, if an average AppSumo customer will spend 30 bucks a month for, with us. So we spent eight bucks getting each customer, well, we'll be revenue positive in a month, right? So it was just doing that basic arithmetic and making sure that that number was always, always in check. Um, that's how it grew so fast with the advertising. Um, I think if you were to try to grow something like AppSumo in a million plus list um, today, it would be much harder. Um, also, I'm a part of another company called The Hustle. That's uh, about a million seven um, subscribers. And that also grew due to knowing that that single number and plowing all the profits back into it for a period of years. And I think what's underappreciated with some of these companies on how they got big so fast is that the founders took a decent amount of sacrifice in terms of not taking much money off the table for many years um, while the companies plowed all profits right back into advertising and spend. So it's it's not quite something easy as like, oh, how'd you get a million subscribers? It's like every single day you come to work thinking, how do we get more? 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 You know, by the 600th time you've come into work and done that, it's pretty old, <laughs> you know? It's just not that fun anymore when you do the same thing all the time. Um, but that is how you get to that number and focusing on that and be willing to plow a lot of the profits back into it. That's really interesting. Like, you know, we've, we've grown our list so far, uh, you know, a really focused B2B list, really, fo you know, really focused on brands and brand owners and, and you, know, um, per, you know, people trying to really enact their professional career. Um, and it's been mostly through ads. I'm, I'm curious, like when you get together and talk about how to grow uh, something like The Hustle or something like AppSumo, is it, it's not just like spend more on ads, another ad concept, another, because right now we're, we're mostly just basically, and we, we have this model where we, we understand how long, you know, our payback window is on, on our subscribers, for instance. Um, but I'm curious, like, what are some of the other things that you guys did uh, that, that to give you those sort of exponential growth spurts that wasn't just plowing more money into ads? Yeah, there's like, there was a time, there was a period of time where like giveaways were working really well. By the way, giveaways still work to a degree, right? Like, you know, the jig is up on them. Like a lot of people have done them before, but if you do a good enough giveaway, people enter. So right now, AppSumo, they're, they're giving away Noah's car, his Tesla, his Model 3. Like they, they made a big deal out of that and that's crushed it, you know? So that like giving away a Tesla, you'd possibly actually win a Tesla. That's, that's a fun thing to enter, right? So there's things like that that worked really well. Um, here's the thing. It's really funny. If you go to Google and type in like, best ways to grow an email list, something like that. Those are literally the ways. It's, it's, it's actually not any different. So it's like a lot of people just want some secret way, but it's just like spend money on ads, do giveaways, regularly do co-promotions with other people. So get other big people involved and, and host 
uh, go on this guy's podcast, do a collaboration on his YouTube channel. Like that kind of stuff literally is how you do it. It's just consistently doing that over and 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 over for the next five years, right? And so when you look in externally at the growth and you're like, how do these people hit a million? Um, but then when you're there, it, it's crazy. But then when you're there on the inside, it, it doesn't seem that crazy. It doesn't seem that crazy. You're just like, oh yeah, we plowed a shit ton of money and time into every single day trying to get a hundred or 1200 new subscribers. And eventually that adds up to the number 1 million. Yeah, of course it happens like that. So yeah, it's, it, it comes in spurts sometimes like a random top Reddit posts or something like that. But those things you can't really control. It's just this constant, like, what are we going to do tomorrow to get more subscribers? What are we going to do the next day after that to get more subscribers? And then repeating that process over and over. It's, it really is kind of that boring. Well, and, and in other words, there's, there's no gee whiz tactic. It's, it's just actually pretty simple, um, which, which leads me to my next question uh, about how you actually go about producing content. You know, Eric and I are always talking about, like, are we, are we going to be on the content hamster wheel forever? Um, or, and, and if so, how can we, how can we uh, you know, just make it a more enjoyable uh, and effective time? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, uh, I talked to Pep Laja of conversion XL, um, if y'all are familiar about this and he was talking, there's some sites that kind of just come out of nowhere in an industry sometimes. And you're like, what just happened there? Like all these other places have been pumping out B2B boring ass content for a long time. And this guy comes in and like totally kills it. What's he doing? And usually it's because they're doing something totally different. So one thing I did different in the beginning, I was, I was originally a financial blogger. My, my original personal blog was nevblog.com. That's how I started to get some traction on the internet. And I was talking about how I made money online before, like this is like a, before people knew that you could make money online, I was just talking about like House of Rave and all the little side projects I had going. And one interesting thing that would always get me a huge bump of traffic is when I would do a real world experiment. So other people would do these money experiments where they'd be like, I'm gonna sell my computer monitor on eBay. And I did stuff like that too. But here's the thing, it's not that risky. It's not that interesting. Um, it's not that interesting to sell your computer monitor on eBay and be like, oh, I made $71 in profit. Okay, cool, whatever. What I got a lot of traction for was doing in-person experiments. So I got a homeless guy to sell bottled water on the side of the road and I made him a shirt with a Sharpie uh, that said water $1 and he wore that and he sold 30 bucks of water in 29 minutes or something like that. And I was like, that was interesting. <laughs> I mean, you can just tell when you tell people you're, yeah, I'm going to get a homeless guy to sell a bottle of water on the side of the road. They're like, what? <laughs> like, it, it just sounds interesting. Those kinds of things, uh, in-person experiments got me far more traction. So, and, and like, that's not going to be something that the SEO results tell you. You're not going to log into Ahrefs and people are going to be like, get a homeless guy to sell bottle of water on the side of the road. That's not going to be a search term, right? So it's kind of stuff that's inherently interesting. So a lot of people, for example, in your industry, in the B2B industry, a lot of people come to us and they're like, how come our articles aren't doing well? It's just like five ways to increase traction for your, your D2C product. And it's just like, uh, spend, uh, buy advertisements on Amazon, you know, have good product photos. Leverage ads. There you go. That's a headline. <laughs> Well, how can we do that same thing and instead make it far more interesting? Well, I would say, here's how we're gonna sell our, uh, our phone cases. Um, here's how we, we 30X our sales on our phone cases. And then you show the actual process you did. 
So people tend to learn by analogy, not by you just telling them what to do. So by going out there and actually doing that experiment. So if you say leverage ads or whatever, what if you actually go out there and do that experiment for that, uh, for that post? That's more interesting. So if you go and try all those ways and it turns out that like taking an ad out in the newspaper got 80% more sales and that was totally unexpected. Now that's an interesting thing, right? So actually going out there and doing stuff and demonstrating it and showing it on content, I think is far more valuable than just telling people how to do it. And I, I think that applies also to, to D2C like owners as well and, and, and brand owners of, of being able to do interesting things. It makes my mind go to what I see uh, uh, Doritos and I think it's, it's Pepsi or Red Bull. I forget they have like a chief meme officer now. Sort of like these, they're they're sort of starting to play in the in the social. You know, brands are starting to play in that social environment uh, in different ways. I think, and they're able to in a, get outsized returns when they're able to create that really you know that content that resonates. And I'm sure a lot of it doesn't. I'm sure a lot of it falls flat on its face. Uh, I try to think like I always talk about the term. Like, I use the word juicy. Like, what's really juicy about this post? Yeah. So for example, I have like this one email that I, I made a long time ago, my autoresponder that performs crazy well. And it's just called a list of all my subject lines and their open rates. And I just literally took this long list, stuck in an Excel file, took a screenshot of it. That was the email. And uh, people, people to this day are like, thank you. This is amazing. Look, there's not even that much in it, but it's juicy, right? It's just like, like they can see inside of my analytics. Um, or if I do some sort of like web thing where I'm working or whatever, you, you'd always see people's eyebrows raise whenever I log into like my Gmail or I log into my Infusionsoft and you see how many subscribers I have or the open rates, you know, that's, that's juicy stuff. So I always tell people, it's like, how do we make this more juicy for them? How do we make it so good that they're going to screenshot it, right? Or save it or put it in their own little personal swipe file. So that's what I always strive for in some of those posts. Doesn't always work, but I try Love it. It's it is all about finding those things that you know are going to be the the real hooks in the business and and build around them. That's you know that, I think I think our auto we can definitely we got to refine our autoresponder KG. I think I think we got to get it to that next level. Did well, the DTC man, the DTC uh, world with like e-commerce products and stuff, it is very secretive and rightfully so because the second you say, hey, I made ten million dollars a year selling dog leashes. Guess what? 50,000 people are going to start selling dog leashes the next day off Alibaba, right? So there's a, there's a highly competitive um, aspect to it. When I was uh, showcasing how I made money on houseofrave.com, it was so common. Like every week, my supplier would be like, oh, another one is asking for uh, to, you know, they, they want to start universalrave.com or whatever all of a sudden. And it was very competitive like that. So in the DTC world, it is easy to be juicy by showing numbers, um, but it's almost like you kind of don't want to sometimes. So I don't know. I, I, I think there's something interesting about that. Like if you started a sample product that you don't mind people copying um, and then demonstrated how you got traffic for that, that could be a really interesting uh, uh, blog post rather than just like, oh, here's five different ways you can increase your sales. Well, and and I'd love to dive into that a little bit because I think I think it's a I think it's really key um, that uh, DTC brands know how they can differentiate themselves or like really create a moat for themselves through interesting content. And um, so like, I'd love to just explore a little bit more how you think uh, like, yeah, let's, let's dive into the dog leash example. Uh, what, what, you know, let's just brainstorm. What are some interesting ways a dog leash company could make a really killer piece of content that they could 
you know, scale the promotion of, and, you know, no one's going to be able to, uh, to compete with that. It might be like an outlandish example, but does anything come to mind? No, that's interesting because like at its core, I think it's harder, right? Because you're selling a commoditized product that anyone can make. So at its core, that's very difficult. And let me give you an example. When I first started doing drop shipping, if you were just on the first page of the results, you kind of just got the sale. That's how it was. The consumer was very dumb back then. Not the people, but the, the tools that people had access to. They could do the same. They could just like go on altavista.com or earlygoogle.com, type in something, and they'd be like, well, I guess this is a reputable website. Now we have like toolbars and stuff that can tell us how many visits and stuff uh, uh, sites get. But back then, that's all that mattered. Then when the when Google Shopping came around and all these aggregators of products, the consumer all of a sudden got a lot smarter. They can say, okay, this six these six places have this exact same dog leash. This one's the cheapest and gives me free shipping. I'll just go with that. It is a commoditized product. And that is a harder game that you are playing. So which levers can you pull to get bigger results out of it? So for example, if you have more Amazon reviews, does that help? Yeah, that helps. If you have higher reviews, that helps. Yeah. If you have more uh, reviews on it, more reviews in general, basically reviews on Amazon is like the big thing. And then, so what else can you do? You know, what else can you do? Can you get uh, exposure on Instagram, on YouTube? Can you have a slightly better funnel than other people? Like if you're selling a commoditized product, it is harder to make that sale and it will consistently get harder over time in my experience. That is why I got out of House of Rave at the time I did, because I saw this rising tide called amazon.com and just like these better tools for people to compare with. So just showing up number one in the search results would ensure me some level of selling, but it started to erode. And so, um, so I don't know if you're selling a commoditized product, it's a bit different, but there are some things like having better images on your Amazon listing. I think that alone is a big deal. Having slightly better copy to a degree, putting more effort into your listing, making, I always go, uh, Dyson Vacuums does a great job with their Amazon listings. They make it like a sales page. So those are the types of levers you can pull to get more sales than the other guy. But ultimately you are selling a commoditized product. That is one thing to remember. So getting in front of other people's uh, quicker. So doing very strategic advertising, all that kind of stuff, having a good brand name over time that people recognize, those are the things you can do. And but yeah, really, just to make it like a solid piece of content, uh, there's only so many pieces of content you could probably make. I think like the uh, the Tuft and Needle has this great like 12 reasons not to buy a mattress um, where they answer all the reasons that you could think of why you should not buy a mattress right now. And they go through and like overturn each one. I think those are pretty solid pieces of content. But yeah, I mean, for DTC brands, I think sometimes it is harder. Yeah. I think, first of all, that's a great, even just that idea of just creating something interesting and juicy, you know, that right there, just being controversial, you know, playing against type. These are the reasons you shouldn't buy these mattresses, I think is a great uh, tangible piece mm-hmm. of advice there. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, it's funny, I actually have a novel leash idea. I actually have, and I, and I, and it really speaks to the idea of like, when you have something simple that is different than what's available, it just, it, it, it is such an added benefit. We're talking with a, a guitar cord, cord company right now that has actually solved the problem, which may or may not be a big problem that it, it no longer makes a terrible noise when you pull it out of the amp without turning down the, the thing. So when you can problem. find these little differentiators that, especially in, in, in terms of the Amazon world that separate them out from the pack, like, and you can build a product around these, these novel ideas, it just 
set you up so much better than something that is fully commoditized, obviously. I mean, Kyle, Kyle's fully aware, like it, in my course, I always teach like the value of images. Cause I think an image can translate uh, a thought a lot faster than text a lot of times, or in fact, most times. So if you just have like an image, like a, a guitar amp and show like that buzz, like a little, uh, like a, an image of that and cross it out, you'd be like, oh, it doesn't buzz whenever you take that thing out. Like I understand that. And so I think having images uh, for your Amazon listings and stuff like that is super, super important. And just being able to tell the entire story with the images alone is one of those levers you can pull that like, oh, people are like, if it's a dog leash, it costs 19 bucks, then just buy yours because it looks good. Yeah, it looks good. It has a decent amount of reviews. Cool, ready to go. But yeah, I, I think I think people in the DTC industry, sometimes if they're selling commoditized product, are at a slight disadvantage. So you have to do get a little bit creative on how you get more sales. For sure. And um, and I'm I'm actually super curious about like when I when I look at copywriting course, for example, it seems like a, a pretty sweet business. You know, you've obviously invested a ton into your skill and content. Um, but now it seems like a lot of it is a pretty cool machine. Um, you're helping folks with copy on the inside. You have uh, mm -hmm. great copywriters who work with you, uh, the biweekly office hours. But I'd, I'd love to hear a bit about like what's what's painful about it or, you know, what you wish mm -hmm. was was easier. What I wish was, uh, I mean, everyone can always say like, oh, 10x my money easier. Like what's painful about it? That's a good question. Um Right now, there's not much that's extremely painful to it. Um, one thing I'm not good at is kind of being like, I'm not a natural leader by any means. And so one thing I've been good at is just accepting that. I tried to get really good at it and try to like business myself up. And it's just like, it just didn't agree. It, it wasn't really me. And I was like, okay, let's just embrace all these flaws and go for that. So everyone I kind of work with um, or, or that gets paid by copywriting course, they are extremely independent for the most part. They usually have had jobs and don't want that again. And I'm like, look, I literally tell them this. This is exactly what I say. I'm like, look, I'm not a good leader. I don't know how to lead. I don't want to learn how to lead really well. And I also don't want to micromanage and tell you everything to do. I'd rather you just do stuff and we kind of course correct along the way. And they're always, the, the people that I end up uh, using are usually like, yes, I don't want oversight. I don't care. And so a lot of them, like I never even talked to, um, except every once in a while over Slack or something like that. And then once a week I talk to some of the core people. Um, and beyond that, not really. So I'm, I've managed to take away the painful thing of doing these meetings, like getting on a zoom meeting with 12 people or some crap that is painful to me. I do not like that. I think this is, this is a great platform for two, three, maybe four people. And it's cool for like doing a little virtual quarantine party and stuff, but it's still kind of painful to do a 12 person zoom meeting and get really, really, really good stuff out of it. It's getting better. It is, but it's still painful. And so I decided to like everything that's painful, let's do it in a different way. Um, and I'm very clear with my boundaries on that kind of stuff. Um, I've always been good at that, just being very good with my boundaries and not doing things I don't like. So right now, uh, yeah, you're right. It, it does run pretty well. It does run pretty well. That's awesome. Um, you, you've yeah. been, you've worked at it a long time, right? And you've worked through different iterations of, of the AppSumo business and you've seen different info businesses that you've helped with and consulted with. So it's really cool that you've been able to fashion like a real Ooh, lifestyle. Wait. Sorry business. to cut you off here, but yeah. I, I just came up with an idea of what was painful. Okay. A few years ago, we were just like, I remember thinking, like I always think of like, what's the future? Like what's going to put me out of business, right? Like I always, always worry about that. I think everyone should. And I was thinking, I was just like, okay, 
10 years ago, we came, we didn't come up with it, but this idea of putting out videos on the internet that people could buy and watch, right? That was kind of a novel concept 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, for sure. But then, you know, something like YouTube comes around and you can kind of get really good stuff on every topic immediately for free, right? So I was just like, I mean, doesn't it make sense that this thing is going to put me out of business or at least make it harder for me to, to run a business of this type where I'm just selling instructional videos. And for a while, that scared me a lot. I'm like, damn, I got to tell people, oh, I'm not going to show you the videos, but inside, trust me, there's some good stuff over here. And it worried me that I was going to have to do that every month for the next bunch of years. And that's going to get harder and harder. And that did worry me. And that's what spurred me to think like, is there something else we can offer people? And like, what do they pay me already a bunch for? So the people pay me a lot of money for consulting. I was like, what if we kind of like productize that in a way and start like a community forum where they could just post their stuff there and I can review it online. Then maybe I can have some other writers help me with it if it gets too popular. And so that was a painful part where I was just like, damn, trying to convince everyone to buy these, this set of videos over time, I don't think is going to be good. And so, um, so whenever something is painful, I, I try to look for a way to get the computer to do it. So to automate it or maybe move in a different direction from that. And I'm very glad every time I feel something's very painful, I'm acutely aware of it. And I try to move away from that. Well, and it actually, it um, makes me think of uh, this new product. I don't know if you've tried it at copy.ai. Um, yeah, I subscribe. I helped out Paul and all the, I was like, not an official advisor to it, but yeah, they, they consulted me on it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you see that playing into the future oh of, of copy? Such and, a, yeah. Such a common question. So isn't copy.ai or taglines.ai or copysmith.ai going to put you out of business? And the thing is at the moment, definitely not. So they're basically using GPT-3, which is an API from uh, OpenAI, uh, which is actually closed. OpenAI is not open anymore, which is kind of ironic. So basically all those companies are using the same API and just an input uh, to basically take like a headline and create different versions of it. So when, when you do a demo of it, it's actually very impressive. And it makes you think like, holy shit, the computer is going to take over. And then you start to use it more and you're like, wait, this is actually not that useful for what we do. And so I actually have subscriptions to all of these. I never use them. I never use them. It is really good, for example, for a Google, uh, a Google ad, right? So maybe a hundred-ish characters of trying to promote whatever your doodad is. It can come up with a bunch of different variations for that. And what's actually happening is a company like Copy AI can do some of that for you, but Google actually does that for you. Google will come up with different alternatives to your headline already. It's baked into the product already. Already, like you can go do it right now. So, um, so it's not one of those things that we worry about. I actually, uh, I think Apple is one of the best companies at this. You take some sort of whiz bang technology, like a foldable screen, and they say, okay, there's this technology. Is it something people will use every day? Because when you first play with it, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Fold it back and forth. But then after you know a month when the, the novelty has worn off, do you really use it that much? And that's what I try to keep on, on top of some of these platforms for. Because I, I am concerned about them. But then after using them for a while, I'm kind of like, this doesn't really do what we do. It is helpful in idea generation. And so I will use those as tools. I never discount them. In fact, I use them all the time if, it, if it's helpful. So I don't think those are putting us out of business in their current form. Will GPT-3.13 maybe do it? Perhaps, maybe. But it's, uh, I feel like then we'll move up the human chain of what we can do.
Yeah, I've always been of the view that you should be using technology and not trying to shun it and saying this is going to put me out of business, but utilizing it as a tool that you can use to amplify your services to way more people. So for example, right now we're recording this podcast, potentially a billion people could watch it if they wanted to, right? So we're using this tool to amplify our voice like that. Similarly, copy.ai, well, what if I want to make a generator for headlines? Well, I can get access to the API from OpenAI, make that generator, and now I can let everyone on the internet use it for free. So I try to use it as something that can amplify my reach rather than, is it going to replace me? I think that's a, a dangerous way to look at it. Yeah, it makes me think of like, you know, when, when we get to that place where we're literally creating different headlines for every different customer out there, that's not something you're physically able to do. But if you could feed your machine, the, you know, your copy, and then say within these parameters, you go out and, and make each of these comments, you know, these headlines custom to each person, that would exponentially increase your power. Well, I mean, I remember like the internet coming up and people offline businesses were starting to talk about online. This is like, you know, 2000s. People were like, well, is business, everyone's like, business is going online. And people were like, well, am I going to go out of business because I have a physical store? Well, it turns out all you need to do now is just list your store on like Google listings and Yelp and get a couple of reviews. And now you actually get a lot more visits to your store. I mean, maybe not with pandemic at the moment, but like overall, that that's the way that you go online. And so I don't know. It, I don't think it's that big of a deal when some of these tools come out. I think you should utilize them to amplify your service, not be afraid of them. That's a great way to to leave that there. Now we have just a couple more questions. I just have a cheesy question uh, about your favorite subject line. I know you've sent a million emails or tens of thousands of emails, perhaps what, you know, subject lines are the, are that one bit of leverage that you have to, that you, you know, you think you can, um, you know, really improve results there. Do so. It's a two-part question. One, what's your best insight on on headlines? Do you have any favorites? And do you A B test? Yeah. So my favorite is none. Whenever I send emails to my friends, I don't put a subject line. Nice. And I'm even like, when Google I... reminds you. Well, it's <laughs> like if I send a text message to a friend, does it have a subject line on it? Exactly. No, it's, it's just a message. And the reason they open it is because it's for me. I'm their buddy. Or if like my mom sends me an email and the subject line's bad, am I not going to open it? No, because it's from my mom and I want to read it. So it's just like what I learned early on was that subject lines are semi-important. And I actually don't spend a lot of time stressing over subject lines that much. And the reason is if you have a high enough reputation with that person, they'll open everything, right? And if you have a low enough reputation, you can trick them into opening it. You can do the famous Obama campaign thing, which is R-E colon and then leave it blank. You know, you can trick them a few times. You could do it, but it won't last. And so ultimately I want to have the best sender reputation to where like, it doesn't really matter what the subject line is. Um, I think subject lines get a little bit too much attention sometimes because it's, it's real, it's a fun thing. It's as a marketer, it's very intriguing whenever I, to people, whenever I say like, if you just change your subject lines, 50% difference overnight, which, which in reality, it doesn't really work like that. Right. Cause if you have a crappy email, but a good subject line, it, it doesn't matter. So in, in, in terms of subject lines, we actually don't stress. What I do is, is Kyle's seen this a bunch of times. I don't try to write just one good subject line. I just write like four to 10 subject lines real quick and then go through the email again and come back and look at those. And whichever one grabs my eye, I just go with that one. And then when you you asked about the third question you had was A-B testing. Mm-hmm. Try this. Try something even more interesting than A-B test. Try an A-A test, A slash A. You compete the same headline against the same headline and see what happens. Prediction. It's going to be different. And, and that, that was like the trippiest thing whenever. So I had a friend, they had a company that was doing 
a lot of split testing, roughly $20 million a year worth. And he was just like, the data can lead you far astray. He always used to say that. And one thing about subject lines is that if you test the same one against each other, they'll come back with like a different level. So you're just like, wait a second. It's not the subject line. It could be the time of day you sent it. It could be the particular set of people you sent it to the time of season. I don't know. Maybe a funny joke would be a really inappropriate joke two months later, you know, like something might happen in the world or a joke is just an outdated reference, or maybe you're sending it to mainly Spanish speakers that don't understand this English reference that well. So there's so many different things that can go wrong that I don't think the subject line is the thing. I go for overall uh, trustability of that sender. So I want them to see like a copywriting course email and be like, you know, his stuff is at least pretty goofy. Sometimes I'll open it, right? That's what I want. I don't want to try to fool them with some dope ass subject line. It's just like, it's just such a small amount of, of, the, of the equation, right? Yeah. And it will, before we wrap up here, it also, um, I'm, it makes me curious about what your relationship is like to, you know, email metrics and, and data in general. Are you like, you don't seem like you sweat stuff like open rates too much, but, but maybe you do. I'd love to hear about that. Well, it depends. Some of the emails I send out don't have links on them. So the click-through rate is zero, right? So when people are stressed about click-through rate, I'm like, let's work backwards. What's your ultimate goal here? And if it's, let's say, to get uh, a sale for one of their products or something like that, well, do you need them to click through to buy the product sometimes? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And so I think some of the metrics can lead you astray, like I said. Um, if you're, if I'm just sending an email of a blog post, that's kind of like, you know, a B-level blog post, let's be honest, it's not the greatest or whatever. I don't necessarily need them to open up my website and go click on it to read it there. When I could just give them the whole post inside the email, they could look at it and be like, that was pretty good and move on. But if I made them click over each time and it's just a B-level, not that great blog post and they click over and they read it and they're kind of like disappointed and they're like, eh, well, they'll give me another chance and they'll give me another chance. But then the chances start going away after that. So if you keep fooling them and clicking over and getting your high click rate and be like, this is the best thing ever, big arrows, blah, blah, blah. And they click it and they're underwhelmed. Well, that's not good. So I don't, I don't know. I just don't pay that much attention to those sometimes. Now, I do pay attention to big things. If we go through our autoresponder and everything's opening at 30% rate and one opens at 15, well, there's probably something wrong there. So I'll pay attention to that. But if it's like 30.2 versus 29.8, come on, like, you know, it, you got to leave some room for variance here and there, right? So some people get real obsessed with those metrics. Um, I don't think you need to get real obsessed with them, in my opinion. I don't think that's helpful. I think just focusing on like, are you delivering really, really, really good stuff is usually helpful. Now, if there's something way out of whack, yeah, you're getting a 5% open rate. Um, maybe there's something wrong. Yeah. Got it. Uh, nice. Well, to finish up, we, this is a question we want to start asking everyone because because I know the the way to make a podcast grow is to bring people on and get them to share it, and you know, you know, really sort of that that kind of idea. I was wondering, is there anyone else in the D 2 C space that you know that you've come across that you really think that we should get on a conversation with? In the D 2 C space specifically, yeah, or 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 in your world, anyone else who you think is an absolute genius uh, on the copywriting side? It's yeah, anyone else that we should bring on the D 2 C podcast? Oh, what's your goal for it? Well, so our goal with the D2C podcast is to become the, like, sort of the, you know, the number one voice for brand builders and agency marketers uh, in, in, in this, uh, yeah, in this emerging D2C space. Hmm. What it's if y'all did some fun experiment or something like that? Say again? What if y'all did some fun experiment? I'm in. 
what what do you take someone and like within two or three podcasts, I don't know, build them a thousand dollar a month product or something like that. I love it. It's one of the things that we're really strongly considering right now is sort of like a, I, we don't want to out it on the podcast too much, but a bit of an iron chef, an iron chef for uh, like where we get different media buyers or agencies to, you know, see which way they'd approach a specific product and see which one wins. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I, I always like to ask, like the real reason people are asking, because a lot of times people are like, Hey, do you know a good copywriter that I can use? What they're secretly asking is, do you know someone who can write me a bunch of articles that are ranked number one on Google so I can make more money? What That's I kind of what they're asking. So when you say like you want to become the number one brand for blah, 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 there's probably like, a, what's below that? There's something below that. I want you to introduce me to Sam Parr. That's basically- <laughs> okay. So th- there's, there's that. See, that's a, that's a, that's a different question then. It right? is. It is. Um, but then also, so even beyond that, even just an introduction to someone, what also is beyond that? So whenever you are the number one destination, are you trying to sell them a product eventually? Ultimately it comes down to usually they want to make money somehow. Yes. It basically it comes down like, where do you want, where are you trying to get the money from? Yeah. Are, are you trying to get people that are listening to this that have, that already have a DTC brand and they buy a course or consulting that you'll offer or, or a service or something that you'll offer. We have, what we have a multi-pronged it, approach that's sort of advertising. Right now we're sort of uh, reaching close to break even on advertising revenue based on the, you know, the high value of our list. Mm-hmm. We also have our membership tier um, and you know, there's other things that we we're also an engine uh, you know, we're, we're partnered with an agency that, that we've been able to fill their pipeline uh, with with a number of clients through these efforts as well, so we have those those sort of three prongs for our monetization. So it's really we're really interested in meeting bigger and better D 2 C brands and becoming like a, a trusted community and and a real trusted voice for tactics and strategies for those people. Hmm. Interesting. Have you yeah. already done that? Are you are you already the trusted voice? We are a trusted voice among our you know fourteen thousand subscribers for sure. We, we we get a ton of positive feedback about. Uh, you know, about people really loving our niche and, and how we're dialing into it, I would say. Huh. Yeah. So I don't specifically know the person that you would want. It would be, I, I don't even know if it'd be an interview necessarily, right? Yeah. Like the podcast format has been, has been tested and true now, right? It's kind of like back in the day, like writing a blog post was a, was a big deal. Now it's like everyone knows the jig, right? And so I think there's a lot of interviews with people and it's like the same interviews over and over again for a lot of people. You know, do you think like if you had Sam Parr on your podcast, would that make a big difference? Would that, would that move the needle? It could, I don't know. It depends if, unless we, if we didn't do something interesting, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, one of our, one of our biggest, uh, you know, local, uh, you know, a friend of ours is, 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 is very, a very successful entrepreneur investor, but we haven't had him on the podcast yet. We haven't asked him on the podcast yet because we, we really want to make sure we nail you know, we, with that opportunity to do something with this specific person, we want to make sure it's, it's really interesting and really juicy so that it becomes something that they're excited to share. To me, that's the big thing we've got to figure out. Yeah, I did. I did one right before, before this with a Jack Butcher of visualized value, mm-hmm. he creates his little images. He was a professional designer. And I was just like, it's going to be stupid just to interview him where we could just like draw against him. Right. And so we did a draw off. I, I don't know if it was well received or not, but it was, it was, it was fun for me. I learned a lot from it personally. And so those types of things, it's like, if you get a specific person on here, what's the best format to do it in? Or, or, or is it just to interview them about their experience? Uh, or like uh, a lot of people will bring me on a podcast, but like a video version where I can share my screen and we take calls. So we take actual D2C products and redo them on the spot. Like that's more fun, right? If I'm a copywriter, let me copyright. Next right? time. 
or you bring in a welder. What if you just have them welding, you know, like stuff like that. So it could be interesting to note that like, it might not just be a standard podcast interview. It could be, but it could also not be, you know, I love it. I, I think a lot of, a lot of the popular people that you'll have on are probably have been interviewed elsewhere also. That's a good point. That's very good advice to end on here. We're going to try to think of some creative, uh, juicy things we can do to to attract some of these guests and to make sure that we produce content that is really worthy of of them wanting to share it and and, uh, and to help grow what we're doing. So I want to thank you so much for coming on today, Neville. Uh, this was super interesting Thanks for, uh, having for our me. audience here. We didn't get any questions uh, from our a couple of attendees here, but, uh, but they might follow up uh, after the fact. And yeah, any final words there, KG? No, just uh, just re- really appreciate you coming on, Neville. And uh, I mean, where where would you where where should people go to to find out more about Neville Medora? Uh, so you can go to copywritingcourse.com, now spelled the normal way, which is kind of cool. Uh, we have a forum and a community over there that Kyle is actually a part of. And we literally, if you want me to rewrite a lot of your stuff, you can just post it there, and I'll go do it. Also, a bunch of professional writers and stuff like that. And so there's all sorts of friendships, connections, business partnerships and stuff that have come out of that forum, which is really, really cool. So it's my job just to like foster that good community there. And also we just like rewrite people's stuff. There's no like, you know, what should I do here? And then give them theoretical advice. A lot of times just rewrite it. So you want to check that out. And there's a whole learning component to it also. It's also a course. So that's copywritingcourse.com. Swipefile.com is where we keep a lot of, Swipefile is a marketing term that whenever you find something interesting, like a cool ad or advertising billboard or an email, you save it and keep it in your quote unquote swipe file. So I have swipefile.com where I do that, but it's just free. So there's no catch there. I put ads on that site and it actually makes like a decent amount of day just for no reason, just because I don't make revenue off of it. So why not get some ad money? So that is totally free and uh, biased. So if there's a, another copywriter out there, I'll promote them, anyone, doesn't matter. So yeah, and then you can also find me on Amazon, type in Neville Medora, I have two books. Uh, one's called, this book will teach you to write better. And one's called, You're Gonna Die, which is about my philosophy on life, not so much copywriting. So that's how you can find me. Or twitter.com slash nevmed, like Neville Medora, my last name. And then, um, yeah. And then you can also find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff too, yeah. Nice. Really appreciate it. I, next time I want to go a bit more on your life philosophy. And I love this idea of, we have so many amazing D2C brands in the audience. And I'm sure a lot of them would love that idea of a, like a live rewrite. So it'd be awesome in, the, in 2021 sometime to get back together and do something like that. Yeah. If you line up a bunch of different products and uh, people that'd be willing to share them, because a lot of those, once again, D2C people kind of yep. secretive. Yep. So yep. if you get people that are willing to share them, we can go and live punch them up real quick. A lot of times those, those, uh, that process for just like an Amazon listing or a product page listing, it's not that hard to actually spruce some of those up. And the problem is once you've seen your own listing for dog leashes, like a thousand times, you start to be in the box and you can't, you're like, what do I change? Like, I don't even know what to change. But then someone new like us can come in and look at it and be like, oh, change those things right away. So it's, nice. it's a pretty awesome process to watch. Very cool. We're going to do that for sure in 2021. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, Neville. And uh, we'll great. talk to you then. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks, Neville. Thank you. Bye. Peace. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening with us today on the D2C podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Hashtag Paid. Uh, you can find them at hashtagpaid.com. Uh, We'll be running a little ad for them before this. But again, thanks everyone. And uh, we'll see you soon.